this year's been crazy. Again, how many people thought 21, you know, we got to the end of 2020 and went, oh, thank goodness, 2021. That'll be way easier. Apparently not. Um, I, I, I made the biggest, you know what the biggest step of faith is these days? I went out and bought a diary for 2022. That, that's like a faith step. I went, let's go. I believe I've got a plan. I've got a book. And, and so, you know, my wife bought one from Kmart and it's missing two months. And we just went, that's probably prophetic. Let's just <laughs> let's throw it away. It's, it's just gone. <laughs> we, we cast that spirit out of it and we burnt it and it was fine. Uh, but in that crazy year, uh, a lot of people around the church on the staff here have, have done a lot of work to... Um, uh, and when I say staff, I don't just mean the paid staff. I mean the volunteers. The, the church is built on volunteers. And a lot of people have worked really hard to make sure that church has been accessible, uh, that it's been quality, that it's, uh, and you know, sometimes they're really trying hard to make what I say sound quality. Uh, but this morning, I want to really honor our sound and data team because they have worked really hard setting cameras up, taking them down. They've had to do cameras here, cameras at home, cameras all over the place. And, um, you know, in the midst of that, uh, yeah, they've had all sorts of, you know, they've been dealing with all the normal things that we have. Um, so this morning, I want us to honor Bo and Lara, who in the midst of all of that, while getting our cameras ready, while getting our sound ready, have also had to navigate how to teach students in lockdown and out of lockdown and, and in the stress of that and in all of the different regulations, they've had to battle with their own mandates and things like that have come out about what do we do and what, where do we sit on this. Uh, so I really want to honor them this morning. Can we put our hands together for Bo and Lara? And then I want to also honor Oliver Powell or Ollie, office, no, what do we call you? What are you? Constable. Constable Powell, who in the midst of getting our sound sorted, needs to continue to upgrade. We've got new microphones that have just arrived that get installed in the next couple of weeks. And in the midst of that, he became a father. Uh, and in the midst of that, he started a new job as a police officer. And all the while, continued to produce quality week after week after week. And we put our hands together for Ollie as well this morning. And... Uh, and finally, the other, like, this, this one is, is a, like, we've made it a bigger voucher because it's really for a whole family, you know. One of the things that I love about church is when a family commits themselves to the things of God, you know, when it's not just one person going, come on, come to church, let's go. But, but actually, you start to see the children get involved and make their part of it. And, and, and we have three members of one family who serve on our data team. I don't believe they're here this morning. Their father, Owens, Obi, plays the saxophone. But Angela, uh, Sharon, and John have all been on the desk week after week after week, again, navigating that, um, trying to keep up with all the new things that Ollie introduces or Bo introduces because they've all upgraded the software and system. And they're like, man, the two kids have got exams. That's actually where John is this morning. He's prepping for his, he's got to get his folio done for his exam. And I said, look, I think Jesus will understand. Um, but he was genuinely gutted. Right? I love that. Not like, oh, I'm not going to be there because i got stuff. Like, I'm torn because I want to be in the house of God. And so in their absence this morning, I wonder if we could honor the Wilson family as well, and we'll give this to them. So, come on. Um, I'm going to put those there. Make sure you get them before you leave, or Tenica will murder me. Um, so, very good. But we love you guys. You, you have done us a great, great, great service in, you know, keeping us sounding fresh and keeping us live. And uh, if you're at home on the live stream this morning, you are a direct benefactor of that. So um, we've all been there at some point or the other. Um, I, I have to mention it. I can't not acknowledge it. I'll get into my sermon. But how cool was it to see the wave of kids this morning? And they just touch your heart. I just, you know, I go back to that day where I remember when we were just praying for one family. You know, and Emma and I would go, maybe we can help. And, you know, <laughs> uh, and now to see, you know, last week we had 23 kids, I believe, in Sunday school. 26. 26 kids in Sunday school last week. How cool is that? 
You know, I love that this church is intergenerational. I love that we have children, parents, grandparents, teenagers, young adults, everything in between. Um, but something about that brought a tear to my eye this morning and, and really touched my heart. So um, I love that. T is excited for part two this morning. You excited for part two? I, ho- I hope it sort of blessed you last week. You can, um, do you want to, you can just chuck that. We sorted? Yeah, I can do it from there. We're good? Perfect. Awesome. going to have a... So, I sort of mentioned last week, if I can recap, in case you weren't here, um, although I don't know that we've got too much of a problem with that, we, we, we almost pushed over the 100 mark on Sunday if you take the staff away, and we almost had a problem, but that's okay. Um, we're going to continue to navigate that. But we're talking about empathy. Our last series for the year before we get into the Christmas series uh, is, is on empathy, because I basically had this thought, you know, as, as the staff, we were talking, uh, we were finding all these different problems, we were dealing with conflicts, we were seeing conflict on the news, we were seeing conflict in the community, we were even seeing conflict, God forbid, in the church. Um, that never happens, right? Never at all. Um, and so we started to look at and go, what's the problem? What's really happening? And as we started to dig a little deeper and we looked a little bit deeper, um, we found that the common theme that kind of came up, it took us a while to get there. Um, I said last week, Sue and Tenek had to listen to the ramblings of a madman. Um, but we got there and eventually landed on this word empathy. And as we started to apply, it's, it's just like there's a lack of empathy. And if we could discover what it meant again to be empathetic, maybe we could change something. And so we started to test it, kind of like the old uh, how you test maths equations, where you put, the, you, you put it in, you substitute it for X and see if it works. I've lost about half of you in the room like that. Um, you're going to have fun this morning, I promise. Uh, but so you, and, and so we started to go, what would happen if we put empathy into this? What if, what if this person was more empathetic to this person's situation? And what if they were in return more empathetic? Yeah, that would probably solve it. What if, and we started to realize that most of the world's conflicts are really down to misunderstanding. Right? Some kind of misunderstanding or misinterpretation or seeing something through only my perspective and not seeing it from their perspective. And we've seen that in a bunch of different places and a bunch of different things, whether that's political, whether that's um, spiritual, whether that's communal and, and uh, you know, all, all these things. And so I went, I want to look at empathy. But I also want to look at empathy through the lens of Jesus. And we looked at the verse last week uh, in Hebrews, which says, we do not serve a God who is unable to empathize with us because he went through everything. Every t- he, was, he went through every temptation that is common to man, but he did not sin. So God understands us. And we like to be understood, don't we? I talk, we talked about this last week. We like to be understood. We panic or get frustrated when people don't understand us. We start to you know, doubt ourselves or, or get more defensive or get aggressive. We all want to be understood, but we don't often take the time and the effort to understand. And really, the, the, the core of empathy is about taking the time to understand. And I said, this, I said this last week, that one of the things that I think made Jesus stand out in his community was not that he could be understood. I don't know about you, I've been a Christian now for, oh, I don't know, time. Um, there was a blip in the middle. And so, but in the, the whole time that I've been a Christian, I would still say I understand about this much of Jesus. And frankly, that's being generous. I should have made it smaller. I just wanted you to be able to see it from the back row. Um, so, you know, the longer we follow, in fact, I feel like the longer you follow God, the more you realize, the less you know. Anyone else relate to that expression? But one of the things that stood out about Jesus and his culture was not that he could be understood, because half the time his own disciples were coming to him going, 
when you said righty, 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 right, what did you mean by that? Now, Jesus would tell a parable, and his inner circle would be like, now, if your inner circle's not getting it, but the thing that set Jesus apart was not that he was easy to understand, but that he understood them. And so, that, so you know, we, how many encounters do we see where Jesus uh, is with a prostitute or, where, or Jesus is with a leper or Jesus is with a Samaritan or Jesus is with a, uh, uh, um, a woman in, in the culture that they're in? You know, all these different kinds of things. And the thing that sets them apart is he seems to understand their position, right? And because he understands their position, he treats them differently to everybody else. When I say different, not he treats them differently. He treats them differently to how everybody else treats them, right? When the world pushes people away, Jesus says, bring them to me. Children. They go, oh, let's keep the children away. And Jesus goes, no, 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 I get them. In fact, I get them more than I get half of you. My people, right? <laughs> And so, so Jesus, it wasn't so much that he could be understood, but that Jesus understands. And yet that's not been the gospel message that we've preached for so long. You know, that Jesus understands. But empathy is a powerful thing. Because when Jesus, uh, when Jesus modeled it, it changed lives. Paul talked about this. We, again, if I can just continue to sort of wrap up with a bow last week because it'll just flow into this week. Paul said, when I'm, with, when I'm with the Jews, I behave as a Jew. When I'm with the Gentiles, I do everything I can to please some so that I might win them to Christ. Paul is implying there very strongly that without empathy, it's actually very hard to win someone to Jesus, right? If you can't empathize with the struggle of the person, how can you tell them about what Jesus wants to do in their life? And and unfortunately, that's been our evangelism, right? We go, hello, you're a horrible person. Um, But there's this book, right? And and, and so we we start with this undertone. And if we don't say it, it's certainly what they hear. What would it look like if we say that message? That's why I took our gospel message this morning back to Genesis 1. To go, hey, actually, before all of this, there's something under there that God created that's good. There's something under there. That's the story that's missing in our gospel half the time. Most people know they're broken. We feel like we've got to go and tell the world that they're broken and in need of Jesus. Most people I talk to are painfully aware of the fact that they're broken. I'm painfully aware of the fact that I'm broken. I've had to journey through that over the last couple of weeks. Um, But empathy has the power to build those bridges and to change lives. In fact, scientific studies have shown that empathy can alter healthcare outcomes. Isn't that crazy? And it can even reduce the length of hospital stays. And it can even, scientifically, I'm not just giving, this is scientifically, can make the common cold go away faster. That's why men look for empathy. When, no, they don't. They look for it. <laughs> like, I'm dying. It's, and it's why it goes on so long, because they don't get any, right? You don't... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> no, no, he's going to feel though. Hang on, hang on. I'll carry on. <laughs> uh, right. When we understand, it will lead to being better understood. If the church could focus more on understanding people instead of being understood, I believe we would change the world. And so last week, 
we started this, and we talked about sources of empathy. We talked about how everyone has different sources that they get their empathy from. Here they are. Um, oh, I went too far. Sources. And so we talked about your default empathy. Your default empathy is the, the empathy that everybody has by default based on the community that they're brought up in, right? So if you're born in a particular town or in a particular culture, you tend to be empathetic or sympathetic towards certain things, right? Um, if you're not, then you might not be. And so one of the biggest... Um, Causes, you know, and, and we just—I remember having this discussion um, at the at one of the National Baptist Hui's with someone I was talking to when we were talking about uh, the bicultural journey in New Zealand. And one of the reasons a lot of the South Island churches were struggling to get on board with that journey is because they didn't see the same level of representation of Maori in their community. They were there, they just didn't see them. So sometimes when you're born in an environment where that's all you see, you struggle to have the empathy towards it. Whereas in the North Island, because it was a much more integrated bicultural community, it made, it made so much more sense. However, when the South Island got on board and, and churches started to introduce it, suddenly we found that all of these Maori people that we hadn't seen was because they didn't feel represented, they didn't feel empathized with, they didn't feel seen. And so suddenly we went, oh my gosh, there's, there's a marae here. And there's there's a whole school, you know? And and so we started to build. So our default empathy is often we don't have empathy for what we don't see, right? But then we start to develop our personal empathy, which is all about our personal experiences. And so, you know, a real simple example of this. If you've been in a car crash, you will be way more empathetic to someone else who's been in a car crash, right? Because you've been there. And you go, I know what that was like. If you've, if you've had a particular condition or you've been through a particular circumstance, if you've been through a divorce, if you've been through childbirth, if you've been through whatever, um, then, then it gives you a personal experience which allows you to empathize with someone else who has been through that, right? That's not to say that you can't, and we're going to come to that, if you haven't been through those circumstances. Then we start to look at relational uh, uh, empathy, which is when we, like, we start to develop empathy for people that we like right? If I spend enough time with someone, it's kind of the, the, the cure to the default empathy in many ways. If I spend enough time with someone from another culture, or I spend enough time with someone with another worldview or another opinion about something, I start to open up uh, to their ideas. I start to see a bit more of their perspective. I start to go, wow, I didn't know that's how you saw the world. And that becomes relational. The danger of relational is it can become about one particular person, Right? And you, you hear this, if we, if, we, if we talk about the race thing again, you hear this when people say, I can't be racist because I have black friends. It's like, well, that just means you empathize with those ones. But what you're saying isn't empathetic to the ones you don't know. Right? So that's, that's the limitations of relational empathy. It's like, I've got empathy for you because I like you. And, and I've seen this in churches. I've seen where two people in church go through the same thing and someone wants blood on the carpet for one because they don't like them and they want grace for the other one because they're my friend, right? So that's, that's relational empathy. It's, it's an important source, but on its own, it's not healthy, right? Actually, none of these are healthy on their own, except maybe spiritual, but even then, I think all of them are, have their place. Uh, professional empathy is, is where I actually start to practice being empathetic for people I don't know and circumstances I don't know. We live in a world now where you have more access to information than ever before. You want to learn something about someone? You can learn something about someone. 
You, can, you, can, uh, you want to learn how to be empathetic. You want to learn how to gain perspective. And, and so it's, it, this is what a lot of counselors use. It's um, you know, where they learn. And so you know, counselors sit with a whole variety of people who go through things that they've never been through. And if they're a good counselor, they empathize with every single one of them. To a point. And that can be the danger of, of professional empathy. is because you have to put boundaries up, right? There's a time for that. If you're in a professional empathy, you know, if the, if the counsellor takes on everything that happens in their clients, they'll just need double the appointments themselves at the end of the week, right? Um, but at the same time, empathy, and you'll see that as we come into, into the next thing. And then finally, spiritual empathy is where we get to tap into the, the revelation of the Holy Spirit and the heart of God. You know the old line in Brooke Fraser's song, break my heart for what breaks yours. So when we actually shift out of going, how do I see this? How do they see this? And start going, Actually, how does God see this? You know, I think a whole lot of heartbreak and a whole lot of aggression could have been saved, particularly over the last 12 months, if we'd asked that question a little bit more. Actually, how does God see this? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. So we've looked at the sources of empathy, and I would submit that we all have areas of those, and we all need to grow in areas of those. The only one that is probably bad is the default empathy, because it's, it's my tendency to be biased to my upbringing or to my particular... So, now I want to look at levels of empathy. Because I promise you, if you can get this, it will change the way you engage with your Christian faith. It will change the way you engage with God. It will change the way you engage with your community. This is one of the most important things I think that the church could grasp. So, um, I want to tell you really quickly, I want to take an idea that I read, that I saw, and then I want to expand on it a whole bit because I spent a whole bunch of time going, I can, I can run with that. Uh, two renowned psychologists named Daniel Goleman and Paul Ekman have identified three components or three levels of empathy. So there's five sources, but they've identified three components or three levels. The first one is this, cognitive empathy. Cognitive empathy... Here's, here's the definition for it, is simply knowing how the other person feels and what they might be thinking, Some, sometimes called perspective taking, right? So I can look at them, that's 101 professional empathy, right? I can look at them, I go, yeah, totally. The next one they talk about is emotional empathy. And so emotional empathy is when you feel, is when you feel, when you feel physically along with the other person as though their emotions were contagious, right? Emma and I have been watching this new series on Netflix. I, I can't recommend it because I've only two episodes in, and I've learned never recommend a series before the fourth episode because I did that here once before, and the third one got dark. <laughs> <laughs> but so far, the first two episodes, they've, like Emma and I went to bed, and it, it's called Made. I don't know if you've seen it, but my goodness, it's about a woman who's in a domestic violence situation, and she gets out, and she's got this little daughter, and she ends up homeless, and that's as much as I'll say, because you might want to go watch it. But Emma and I have never been through anything like that, but we were watching it, and by the end, like, we got tears, right? We weren't just cognitively like, that must be really hard for her. We were there with her, right? We were emotional, going, this is, this is horrible. But see, what we did after that is we turned our TV off, and we went to sleep, which is where the third level of empathy comes in, and that's this compassionate empathy. See, cognitive empathy is simply knowing how they feel. Emotional empathy is when you feel along with them. Compassionate says, with this kind of empathy, we not only understand a person's predicament and feel with them, but we are spontaneously moved to help 
if needed. Right? So the difference, see, how often do you watch an ad on telly for one of those World Vision or, or you know, something, and you go, oh, no, and then you change the channel and you keep watching motorsport or whatever happens, right? And so, so we, we, we identify it, we feel it, but compassionate empathy is when we go, I need to pick up the phone. Or compassionate empathy is when we see someone going through something and go, I need to pay for that person's groceries, or I need to give that person a call, or I need to ask that person how they're doing. It moves us to something. Interestingly, the word compassion breaks to two parts, com, passion, I know, crazy, right? The word passion means to suffer. That's why we talk about the passion of Christ, which raises a whole question when we talk about what our passions are. Maybe the question is actually, what are you prepared to suffer for? Yeah? I'm passionate about church. Really? No, I'm prepared to suffer for church. Not suffer through church. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like some of us do that. Like, I'm suffering through church for Jesus. <laughs> but passion means. Passionate empathy. So, so it means to suffer. Com means communion. means with, together. So to suffer with. I want you to look at just a couple of real quick verses about Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The bottom one actually finishes that, Mark 6.34. It's the same recollection. It says, he had compassion on them, so he began teaching them. See how he had compassion and it caused him to do something. Matthew 14.14, 14, 14, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. His compassion moved him to action. Mark chapter 1, verse 41, moved with compassion, moved with compassion. How many, you can't have compassion without moved. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him and said, I am willing, be healed. If I could take you to another story, I don't have it on the screen, but if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. This is a really interesting story because this is one of the stories where Jesus builds the, builds the gap of empathy between cultures because Jesus is doing some teaching on loving your neighbor. And, and so in the midst of loving your neighbor, uh, this, this holy man says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells this really interesting story and we pick it up in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. It says, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling, and so immediately they go, oh, that's me. I'm a Jewish man, because that's who he was talking to. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, if we employ some cognitive empathy, we can go, what's he probably feeling? He's probably feeling hurt. He's probably feeling a little bit scared. Got some ouchies. Probably feeling, and we can leave it at that, and we can go, oh, good story. Or we can put ourselves in the place of that man and we can start to feel those emotions with him. We can start to, to go, what would it be like if I was in that situation? Right? So, uh, it says, Jesus robbed the And then it goes, so he's, he's left him half dead beside the road. Verse 31, by chance, a priest came along. And the Jewish man goes, I know them. They're my neighbor. 
And it says, but he saw the man lying there and he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. Now, let's say this man had cognitive empathy. He goes, that sucks. But he's not having a good day. And he crossed the road. Because and... why? He was more concerned with his own danger. And then it says another man, uh, uh, 30, verse 32, a temple assistant. And the man goes, I, I know that one. Walked over and looked at him lying there. But he also passed on the other side. So he might have had emotional empathy. He might have come past and gone, oh, man. Wow. If that was me, I'd really want someone to help. Oh, well. Cross the road and move on. And then it says this in verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along. Remember the question that Jesus was answering? Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? And Jesus goes, okay, let's talk about a despised Samaritan. A despised Samaritan came along. When he saw the man, he felt compassion. And what did the compassion move him to do? Going over to him. I mean, right there, that's the first difference. Compassion took him towards what everybody else was walking away from. Oh, I'm preaching, right? Like, how, how many times do we need to let the compassion in the church move us towards the very thing that we run away from? Right? We go, I don't like that. I'm terrified. I'm scared of that. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to come to my house. But this man, moved by compassion, goes over to him, soothes his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he puts the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you next time I'm here. Now, which of these three, three men would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Because Jesus understands that his model of empathy is supposed to be reflected by those who claim to follow him. So we show empathy. We're called to be empathetic. You can take that off now, um, Bo, if you, if you don't mind. Get me back to Yeah, there we go. So we've looked at these scriptures. So, so the goal for us is to move from being uh, cognitive to emotional to compassionate. Now, you need all three of those because you won't get to one without the other. But I want to take this, there's a thousand directions I could have gone from here. And as I read this and I looked over this, I went, God, how do we learn as the church to be empathetic? Where do we struggle? And I would contest that the place that we struggle to be empathetic is the place where we disagree. Like most of us can be empathetic when we agree or when we're impartial or indifferent. Um, and so we could talk about, you know, how do, I, how do I learn? Let's basically look at it this. Cognitive empathy looks like asking this question. How does blank affect blank? Right? That's cognitive empathy. That's cognitive empathy 101. And so I can replace any of those things. That could be a, you know, how, how does the current financial climate affect such and such? Or how does the mandate, vaccine mandate, affect this teacher or this person or this whatever? Right? And we can do all of those things. But what starts to come in is where we disagree with things. And that's what I want us to learn how to do better. Because that's what I believe Jesus wants the church to learn how to do better. And so I don't want to talk so much. It's easy to be empathetic when we are removed from a situation. It's harder to be empathetic when it impacts something of us. Right? Let's look at it this way. If we could fill those blanks with any of these things, how does my opinion affect another person? 
How does my belief affect another person? Or my perspective, my culture, my deeply held convictions. So you'll notice down, down the left hand, we've got a whole bunch of, of, of beliefs, opinions, and thoughts. On the right, we've got very few people groups. And the reason for that is because actually, there's a lot of diversity of thought. At the end of the day, there's not a lot of diversity of humanity. Like, yes, we're diverse in culture, but we're all created in the image of God. I touched on that a couple of weeks ago, that we have so much in common. And so in other words, how, how does the bit that it makes me uncommon affect the commonality I have? Because I'm a person. You're a person. We're a people. We have a culture. Someone else has a culture. And, and so we start to put ourselves in that. So I want to I give you some really easy questions that if you can learn the discipline of asking these in your life, you will be able to move from cognitive to emotional to compassionate empathy. Would you like to be able to do that better in your day-to-day life? Well, do you, how often do you get faced in an environment where you're, you're standing with someone, you're, you're, you're in an environment, and, and you go, I don't know what to do here. I know what I've... Like, you ever felt torn between a person and a conviction? Right? I want to help you. So I wanted to give you five questions. This is the first question. And can we... I, if I lost you with the math thing, this is going to annoy you a little bit. But let's call these X and Y. <laughs> right? How does my X... That's not... It's just the letter. How does my X affect another person? Some of you go, I don't care. And it's, it's, it's his bed. He can lie in that. That's <laughs> How does my X affect another Y? Okay, we need to get back on the gravy train here. So how does my opinion, how does my belief, how does my perspective affect that person? Right? This is the next question that I want you to ask, because this starts to move us. Here we go. Next question is this. How does God feel about Y? We start with the person. See, how often do we go, how does God feel about my belief? Well, yeah, I'm right. And we never actually start to consider, how does God feel about the person I'm talking to? Right? How does God feel about Y? Then we ask, what does God think about X? Because sometimes we don't ask that question. Sometimes we just go, well, I know what I think. And actually, if you went and took it to God in prayer, you go, well, hang on. You're being a little bit like, let's just settle down. So how does my X affect another Y? How does God feel about Y, the person, the people, or the culture? What does God think about X, the belief, the perspective, the idea? Question four, which one's worth dying for? We'll come back to that. Uh, question number five, how does all of the above influence my application of X? Right? How does all of the above influence my application of X? Now, I realize that's a big sentence, but now I'm going to break this down a little bit for you. Here's what I want to, here's what I want you to notice. Number one, the, the first question and the third question are really cognitive. Right? There's a little bit of out of order, but I think the order is important. Because the first one is about, it's just, it's just about understanding mentally, right? Okay. How does this feel about this? Especially if I don't, if I haven't walked it, I haven't felt emotion about it. And what does God think? But in order to move there, these two questions are emotional. How does God feel about why? And which one's worth dying for? Because they suddenly invest my emotions, don't they? How does, how does God feel about that person? Which of these is worth dying for? Which of these would I put my life on the line? You put your love on the line. Which would I put my love on the line for? And then finally, the last one here, which one's worth dying for? And how does this influence my application of X moves us into compassionate? Why? Because it moves us to change something or to do something. To, the, the idea of an application is there's a doing, right? 
you may want to wait. If you're taking photos, you may want to. I can even make this one available if you want, because I'm going to keep adding to it. Here's three observations I want you to see from it really quickly. Uh, number one is the order of these questions is really important. If you ask what does God think before you ask what does God, about the idea, before you ask about how God feels about the person, you won't move into emotional and compassionate empathy. Because you'll be so lost in your theology. This is what the Pharisees did. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And Jesus goes, well, I love her. So let's start there. Right? And then let's talk. And so, so, so Jesus goes through a process, a sermon for another day. So the order of these questions is important, as well as you'll see I've underlined feel and think. We feel about think people, we think about theology, we think about principles. So often we get that backwards in the church. We feel passionately about our convictions and we just think about people. Right? If we could get that right, and we could get those questions in the right order, it would change our evangelism. Finally, which one's worth dying for? Keeping in mind, Jesus literally died for one of them. Right? And it wasn't your opinion. I have never read in the Bible anywhere that Jesus died for your opinion. Or that Jesus died for good theology. Jesus died for people. He died for you. He died for me. He died for the sinner. Which is still you and me, just by the way, in case you somehow thought you'd... So remember Jesus, so which one is worth dying for? And, And the answer is why. Like I'm answering that question for you. If you get to question four and you're like, um, uh, you, you need to go back and start again. You missed something, <laughs> right? So it's not that X isn't important. See, we've asked, what does God think about X? God does have convictions. He has standards. He has laws. Which one is worth dying for? And then finally, how does all of the above influence my application of X? The thing I want you to understand about this is that ap- my belief doesn't have to change for my application to alter, Right? My belief doesn't have to change for my application to alter. See, so often we're worried that having empathy, when we start talking about having empathy as the church, the big fear that comes out is is that we're going to lower our standards or or we're going to become one of those liberal churches. Just whatever. And, And it's true that empathy requires a posture of humility. But it doesn't necessarily mean compromising your conviction. It means considering. It's just really what it means to be human. We do this all the time in our marriages. We do this all the time. We do this all the time with people we like and people we know. Biblical teaching is learning how to do it with people we don't know and people that we don't yet like. And it's not about, you know, because we go, what if I drift away? Um, See, I have a dream. What would it look like? If Connect could pioneer, you know, two years ago, our vision was off the map. That was our our theme. We want to be off the map. And we are, well and truly. I haven't got a map for anything right at the moment. But but part of that was about actually, when when I started here, I had three prophetic words from three very trusted people who all didn't know each other. And they said to me, Shannon, God is not calling you just to do something new for this church, but for the church. And that's hard because it means there's not a book you can read. Well, there's a book you can read. Here's, here's what I know. There's a lot of talk at the moment in the world about the conservative church and the liberal church. And everyone gets chucked into one of those groups, saying, eh? You're either a conservative or you're a liberal. And what I have found is that my conservative friends don't like me and my liberal friends don't like me. And they're just, you know, we're like, okay, cool. What if, we, what, if, what if we could be the pioneers of the empathetic church? 
The empathetic church, which has strong convictions. And we hold our beliefs. But we've learned to apply them in such a way. That's not about liberal, but it's about freedom. It's about understanding. Again, if I went back to John chapter 8 with you, this is what I love. Uh, if I breeze through it real quickly, because it's not in my notes. Um, a woman caught in the act of adultery is brought before Jesus. And they say to Jesus, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? To which my rhetorical question is always, does Jesus believe the law of Moses? Yes, he wrote it. So Jesus believes X, but he also loves Y. And so Jesus, Jesus bends down and he, and he writes in the stone, which I believe is a demonstration of Jesus going, the last time a finger of God wrote in stone was when I wrote those laws, just so you're aware. So Jesus goes, I wrote the law. I don't just believe the law of Moses. I wrote it, but that's not why I wrote it. So he holds his deeply held conviction, which is you should not commit adultery. It's a good conviction. Anyone who's done it kind of goes, look, my life was messy afterwards, right? Like just, you could save a whole lot of trouble by not doing that. It's like when the Bible says God hates divorce, and we, you know, I've heard that preached in a horrible way. Of course he does. Everyone who's been through a divorce hates a divorce. Nobody goes, that was awesome. Give me three more. Nobody does that, not intentionally, right? And so, so when the Bible says these things, and they're strongly held convictions, but so Jesus is with the woman caught in the act of adultery. They say, the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? And he, does, he believes the law, but he applies it completely differently. Because he goes, oh, well, you throw the first stone. And so they all, they all have a cognitive think about it. They, because they haven't engaged emotionally. But cognitively, they go, oh, well, I've, yeah, okay. And it says they start to leave. And then Jesus sits down next to the woman and he says, where are your accusers? She says, there are none. Jesus just redeemed her from her fear. And he goes, well, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus just saved her from her shame. And then, and then he says, then he says, go and leave your life of sin. He redeems her from her guilt. But in order to redeem her from her guilt, he set her free from fear and shame first. What if we could learn to do this? What if we could be the empathetic church? That's set to not just pressure people. Because often we want to set people free from their guilt by leveraging their shame. Don't we? It's like, welcome to church. Let me just really jack that thing up so you really feel the shame about it and then talk to you about Jesus. Jesus is in the business of freedom. Anyway, let me come back to my notes. How does that change my application? The belief doesn't have to change. I don't, I don't, what I'm not standing here this morning saying, I believe the church needs to change its beliefs. I believe the beliefs are good. I believe we need to change our applications. And if we could do that, if we could pioneer the empathetic church in a world of conservative or liberals, I believe we'd see revival. Because I believe, like Paul said, when we can be empathetic, we win people to Christ. We show them the love. We show them that God understands even when he doesn't agree. There is a difference between something being understandable and something being acceptable. Right? You with me? It's getting quiet. I assume you're just glazing over and going... All right. Empathy doesn't change truth, but it teaches us to apply truth in a godly way, in a relational way. I'll tell you just a couple of stories. See, because here's what I believe. I believe if you could take this and if you could learn this and you could practice this, you could apply this to a bunch of situations. Probably right now you could apply them to situations that went wrong and go, if I'd done that, that might have looked different. Or maybe you're in situations right now and you go, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to confront this. There's something happening with my children at home and I don't know what to do. You could have, if you could implement this. Maybe you're going through marriage difficulties right at the moment. 
I believe this process could help you save your marriage because I believe it will lead you from cognitive to emotional to compassionate. And compassion changes lives. It was Jesus' passion, his compassion that saved the world. Several years ago, when I was doing youth work, a um, young girl was brought to me, um, came to me with another youth leader, and um, she came up to me at the, at the end of youth group, and you could see the fear and trepidation in her, right? And um, I was like, you're right. You're, you're usually so, you know. And she'd come with this other youth leader uh, to tell me that she was pregnant. And you could see in her eyes she was going like, I'm going to get the conservative Baptist treatment here, you know, like I'm going to get the, you know. And um, I looked at her. I said, I, took, I held my hands out and I took her hands. I said, congratulations. And she looked at me and you could see that her, her, her fear had gone to... Because like I've listened to your ex, right? Like I've sat in your sessions where you tell us not to do this. My, and I stand by it. Your life's going to get a whole lot harder. <laughs> like, it sure is, right? But here's what I know. Here's what I know about how God feels about you. And here's what I know about how God feels about your baby. Because the Bible says there's never a scenario where a baby's not a blessing. It says children are a blessing from God. So even if the circumstances are led to I said, that baby's a blessing. And I'm not going to curse it before it's even growing in the womb. I'm going to bless it starting now. So here's what I know. God, what does God think about X? Look, you know as well as I do right now, the look on your face says that you're terrified and you're kind of going, maybe I shouldn't have done this. But we can't change that now. Which one's worth dying for? How does all of the above influence my application of X? I took her hands. I looked into her eyes. I said, congratulations. I didn't parade her in front of her and go, someone's got a confession to make. We've all been in those services. I've suffered through church. <laughs> <It's>, you know... <laughs> A couple of years ago, I was a guest speaker at a church, and at the end of the service, a woman came up to me, and she said, I'm booked to get an abortion in three days, and um, my, my child is the product of abuse, and I just every time I think about it, I, I want to be sick, and um, you're a Christian, you're a pastor, I know what your ex is, um, can you talk to me? You pray with me. What you said this morning really spoke to me. I can't even tell you what the sermon was about. I, it had nothing to do with that. <laughs> I'm not sure. And, and um, so the first question I asked is, how does God feel about why? That's the mother and the baby. What's God think about X? You know, and, and when I asked what God feels about why, what I, what I knew is that God understood that sickness that she felt every time she looked at that situation. And God understood and God understood the pain and the anguish and the difficulty more than he understood the, the Bible says, right? right. So which ones we're dying for? People. Both of them, right? And I said, so how does this change the influence of my application of X? Because I went, there's two things I could say here. I could get up and go, well, Bible says you should do this, and ready, ready, ready. Again, I said, there's not a scenario that I believe the Bible says that a baby's not a blessing. Nothing that God, the Bible says, you meant it for harm, but I can turn, around, turn it around for good. And I said, here's what I promise you. I said, this isn't my church, uh, but I will journey with you, and I'm, I will make sure someone journeys with you, whatever you decide. If I have to come and sit in that, in that appointment with you, I will. And I know people won't like me for doing that, but I will. But if you also choose, then I will make sure that there's people around you who support you. That child is now three years old. Why? Empathy. 
Sometimes we're worried that if we compromise our X, we'll lose the Y. No, that's not even true. We just don't care enough about the Y to compromise our X. We just, I don't care what happens to the Y, but I'm deeply passionate about what happens to the X. But if we could apply this, if we could take this empathy and we could move from cognitive to emotional to compassionate, you would change the world. Your marriage would change. Your family would change. Your workplace would change. Your, your government would change. Your, and I don't mean like change in terms of, you know what I mean? Your community would change. Your world would change. The kingdom of God would be built if we could learn how to be the empathetic church. I'm not asking you to get rid of your beliefs. I'm asking you to consider your applications in light of why. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning that you are the one who understands. I've said it already. You, your word describes you, Holy Spirit, as the one who comes alongside. You had compassion. You suffer with us. You understand. Lord, you love us just the way we are, but you love us too much to leave us there. And so you come into our world and you showed compassion. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, you told the listeners to go and do likewise. And so, Lord, I pray that as we continue through this series, as we grow our default, our personal, our relational, our professional, and our spiritual empathy, that our empathy would also be more than just cognitive empathy. That it would be more than just the ability to go, I bet that sucks. But that it would also be the ability to feel with those people. But Lord, then that we would be so moved. Lord, I echo that prayer from that song that we've already mentioned, break my heart for what breaks yours. And may it move us. May it stir us. May it keep us awake at night. May it get us out of bed to pray. May it cause us to give, to serve, to, to move into, um, and to suffer and to sacrifice for the sake that someone else might come to know your freedom. Lord, as we look at that blank up there, at the letter Y, we know, we all know a Y. We all know a person or a people or a culture, that you are causing us and calling us to show compassion for. May we be moved. May we pioneer something that is different from the conservative or the liberal that ultimately always leaves someone wanting or leaves something missing. And may we pursue the empathetic church, which is built around the name and the person of Jesus Christ. God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.